At the well, Jesus saw the depth of the heart of a broken woman and loved her into conversion and mission. Likewise, we long to encounter the one who loves, redeems, and fulfills us. And you're invited to join in. This is the podcast at the well. Welcome back, everyone, to season five, episode six. And hopefully you've gotten some rest in this uh, first part of the year. We're focusing today on step number five, sharing in the sword. So we'll get to that in a moment. And I'll ask Erica to pray as we normally begin every episode. Thank you, Rachel. So since this episode actually centers on the step Mary takes at the presentation, I thought I would read from the portion of Luke's gospel that describes the temple encounter in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's mother and father were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Erica. And so there we have it. We have this righteous, devout priest uh, and prophet coming up to Mother Mary and St. Joseph, if you can imagine, as they enter into the temple and just grabbing the child out of their hand and proclaiming that he's the Messiah. But he also has this prophecy for them that it becomes a moment of both joy and sorrow. And so huge moment in the life of Christ in those first few moments of his life. And here we have as well what Dr. Edward Shree in his book, Walking with Mary, says is Mother Mary's second annunciation, this presentation and what is also known as the purification of Mary. It comes with as much joy and as much sorrow as other moments of Jesus's life. So lots to talk about in this particular scene. And I'm glad you pointed out, Rachel, that there is this interesting, joyful, sorrowful mix, like so many elements of Mary's life. This episode, the presentation in the temple, is the fourth joyful mystery of the rosary. But it's interesting how one of the subtitles of the chapter that Dr. Sri names this is Mary's participation in her son's sufferings. So it's this strange moment because of the nature of the prophecy where a joyous moment will be commingled with sorrow and with intense suffering. And what's worse is the future promise of more suffering, right? Which you can imagine they have to wrap their minds around this complete stranger saying this to them and to their son. Yeah, and to the point where he's saying to her, 
and a sword shall pierce your own soul too. And it's, if you think about their journey up until now, it hasn't been pleasant at all, right? You have them coming through these journeys that they've been taking from one place to another place. And knowing that at this moment, Herod is also after their son's life. So much happening in this brief life of Jesus already, and so much giving of themselves to God. How many times have they already said yes to whatever it is that he's asking them to do? And they're just, they just keep following the will of God. They just keep going. And that was one of the things that I actually reflected on when I was reading this chapter and reading in particular the scripture passage for the presentation. I noticed that there were so many times where the law of God was mentioned. It mentions it as according to the law, stated in the law, customary under the law, and required by the law. There's so much about God's law. When you think about God's law and and what it is, it's actually designed to lead us to understanding his will and to make us happy, uh, ultimately, by returning us to God. So when we think about the goal of the Christian life being love, because we're made in God's image and likeness, then, and who is love himself, you know, then we understand that we need to follow God's law, because that's the directions that we've been given in order to, to find our way back to him. We see that in this particular passage, because as Dr. Edward Tree indicates, the way he opens the chapter, he immediately talks about their obedience in that one, they're following the Mosaic law by even going to present Jesus to God and then also to purify the woman who has given birth, which is what was needed at that time as well. So if somebody gave birth, they would then be considered ritually impure for 40 days. And so at that time, they have to come uh, to a point of purification when that 40 days is completed. And then they have to offer something. And as we know, um, Mother Mary and St. Joseph offer the two birds, right? So we yeah. see this total obedience in that they really don't even have to be there, right? <laughs> like we know Mother Mary is pure. Uh, we know St. Joseph is a righteous and just man. We know the baby is God. Uh, so they really don't have to be there. But yet, instead of exalting themselves, and I think we've mentioned this before in another episode, they, they remain lowly and they remain obedient. And that in itself is a love for God's law and a love for God that they are showing us the way in which we need to also live our lives. As an aside, it definitely just makes me think of my own routines as a Catholic and sometimes my temptation to say, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go to Sunday mass? Why do I have to not eat meat on Fridays and Lent? Um, or, you know, anything else that the law prescribes. But this mystery and this reflection of what happens to Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the temple is this amazing reminder for me of how God very much acts through his law when we are obedient. And I think about the life of the sacraments and how it can be so beautiful when I just do something like go to Sunday Mass and I have this profound encounter with God. And he actually uses those opportunities when I'm obedient to speak to me, to inspire and encourage me. It can be the same with confession and it can be the same with times I 
I follow the church's observance of fasting, you know, of penance. So I think that, yeah, you're, you're definitely right to say Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, those three people of all, they're pretty much the earthly manifestation of the Trinity. They have a right to say, we're above the law. We don't need the law, right? The law was designed for sinners, but it's actually just so humbling to see their following of it and how God surpasses what they could have even expected that day at the temple when he gives them this heartbreaking, but also very life-changing and transformative prophecy. He's, as Edward III says, he's actually telling them in this moment a little bit more about the why of the first annunciation. So if he says to her, your soul is going to magnify the Lord, and she proclaims that right in response to Gabriel's greeting, now she's starting to figure out a little bit more about what she signed up for when she gave that first yes. And she's going to find out how her soul is going to magnify the Lord and what the life of this child, the Messiah, will have in store for her and for him. She's figuring out more about the fate that will befall her child, that will befall herself, and the the unique sufferings and sorrows that they will have to face. It also made me think, again, back to the visitation with Elizabeth as well, and just how both these women in their miraculous pregnancies are going to, in their yes, also say yes to whatever God wills for these two babies, meaning they already know because of the miraculous birth that they're going to have, that the child is set aside for God right from the beginning. And so there's already this acknowledgement that the offering is going to be their child. And the offering is not only going to be their child, because as every mother knows, you're that child is part of you and you are a part of it, then it becomes an offering of yourself. And it's a true understanding of what love is. Um, And I feel like in this particular scripture passage, this is a moment where, again, the reason why it is a second enunciation is because it's almost like a second proclamation of Mary to God saying, I still love you, Lord. I still love you above all else. And I still love you so much that I'm going to do whatever it is that you ask of me. Even if your prophet is telling me that there's going to be a sword pierced through my heart, even if your prophet is telling me that my son is going to experience this suffering And that is just such a beautiful proclamation on Mother Mary again, kind of, you know, almost in in a way, a second Magnificat, a silent one, though, for her to just go along with this plan and to still believe, as Elizabeth said, that what the Lord tells her will happen. And so it's just crazy to think that the small sign of obedience is really such a large act of faith and to accept all of this suffering is mysterious um, which is probably why it's a mystery because who would accept all of this suffering willingly Um, but it's also such a beautiful act of love ultimately Um, and we know that mother mary doesn't disappoint she continues to say yes every step of the way and continues to be right there 
with her son, with God, still offering her entire life to everything that God wills. And it's such a great example for all of us. What about you, Erica? Like, is there any other particular themes that, that kind of stood out to you as you read through this chapter? Well, since Dr. Sri actually um, spent so much time on word etymology, and we were both kind of talking about this in the planning of this episode, he goes into a lot of detail when he defines the exact words used for soul and for sword. So um, just for sort of definition recaps, it was helpful for me to read that here when they say the word soul or the word that we get psyche from, um, he's talking about not just kind of an abstract concept, but the soul biblically was the vital principle of a human being and the very source of human consciousness and freedom. So it means a lot when Simeon is telling her that a sword will pierce this innermost core of her being. And for me, I think I just sort of paused there and stopped when I even reflected on the words of the prophecy, because I'm still trying to wrap my mind around a pain that is emotionally and spiritually felt that could feel as bad as being physically crucified, right? It's beautiful that he does actually talk about Psalm 22. The psalmist says, deliver my soul from the sword. And obviously, if you go through the words of the person suffering in that psalm, you can find the story of Christ, right? You can find one who is wrongfully persecuted and they cast lots for his garments. But he points out really beautifully how you can find Mary's suffering. And you can find sort of in there the promise that Simeon makes to her that your soul is going to be pierced by a sword. In this case, not the physical kind of suffering that your son goes through or when the sword pierces his side after he's dead, but she will face in her innermost being what it is like to be totally linked to him in suffering, such that she will feel as if she is going through it too, right? And maybe as a mother, we can imagine she wishes that she could go through it instead of him. So yeah, I don't know if you had any other images that were helpful that came to mind, Rachel, but for me, I was really just captivated by the idea of facing such an intense emotional and spiritual pain such that you felt it was either worse or equal to physical suffering. Yeah, it's like there's just like what you're saying is so powerful. And I'm just thinking about how much faith, how much hope and how much charity that Mother Mary had to have in order to still go through with this, in order not that she could have changed it at that point, but, you know, to still willingly and joyfully move through life, knowing what was to come. Just the amount of love is just beyond me. Like you can't even imagine. But the closest thing that I can come to is just as a mother, you know, you would do anything for your children. And to see any of them hurt, so difficult. And even yet, when our children do something wrong as a mother, you look at them and you still feel sorry for them. So you still have sympathy for a child who's done wrong if they're crying, if they're showing remorse or anything like that, right? And then here she has the perfect son who is unable to do wrong. 
and to know that he's going to undergo suffering at the hands of these sinful men. Like, I can't even imagine what that might feel like. And I think, Rachel, that you sort of alluded to this insult upon injury, which is going to happen in the way Christ dies. Not only as a mother is she going to have to face the innocent torture and killing of her son. That would be enough for any human heart and any soul. But she's going to have to face his utter rejection and the way in which he will go through that alone. And there's another psalm that's referenced, Psalm 68, which says, I looked for one that would comfort me, and I found none. The psalmist here is referring to the idea that there is suffering that you go through in which you are completely alone. Much like at the Passion, Jesus's closest followers abandon him. And instead, Mary is the only one who is intricately there, and her suffering is interwoven with his. So hopefully in the midst of all this, because mother and son are so connected, he can know that he is not completely alone because he has not been abandoned by her. She has his mother wishes she could go through this for him. But if she cannot, then she stands by him on the road to Calvary. She's there at the foot of the cross. She's there to take down his body. She's there. And that's kind of this strange definition of a sorrow that we can't heal, but we can suffer with, which is the meaning of passion, right? To suffer with someone. Yeah. And that leads to this last part of the chapter where Dr. Shri refers to Mother Teresa or St. Mother Teresa, who would um, ask her sisters to be the one, to be that one that can comfort Jesus on the cross. And, and here, Mother Mary is giving her yes to being that one. Um, so like Mother Mary, we should also join her in being able to comfort Christ on the cross. It's not just in the past, but in present day, that whenever we reflect on his passion, whenever we speak to him, whenever we contemplate his death, we can actually console him on that cross and we can share in his suffering just as Mother Mary also shared in his suffering. And this moment of Simeon's prophecy can for us also allow us to contemplate whether or not this is something that we could do for God, whether or not we can also handle the suffering in our lives, the sufferings and the persecutions that we might face, if we can also join in Mother Mary's willingness to suffer for God in the same way. And I think like for us, knowing ahead of time what dying on that cross was and what it meant, you know, it almost gives us you know, an advantage because we actually know the glory of God. We actually know the salvation that it brings. So in Mother Mary's time, she might have had the wisdom and been given the grace to understand what it might be like, but she really didn't know until they actually lived it out. For us, we've already heard the story. We already know what happens. And so that should give us the hope 
that we need to say yes to God. That should give us the hope that we need to actually share in his love, but also in his suffering. What a moment this was, <laughs> like when you really think about it, you know, compared to the other joyful mysteries, if you think about this, I've, you know, one of the things I struggled with with the presentation as a kid, especially, or even as a young adult was like, okay, it's like a baptism, you know, like that was what I could imagine in my mind, because that's what we would normally do when we you know, there's a baby, you go to the church and you offer him to God in baptism, right? And so for us, you know, there's that purification of original sin. And so, you know, this is what I used to imagine. I'm like, okay, you know, this is what I had in my mind. It didn't seem like such an important moment in comparison to the Annunciation, in comparison to the Visitation or the Nativity. And then here we have, okay, so the presentation and then the finding of Jesus in the temple. The last two never really seemed as big a deal, right, <laughs> as the first three for me until I really understood what Simeon's prophecy was about. And you don't, you kind of sometimes gloss over it because it seems like such a happy moment because Simeon was so happy, right? He was just like elated that he finally got to meet the Messiah and now he can go see God. So for him, this was such a joyful moment. And yet there's this huge example of love and faith and obedience that Mother Mary and St. Joseph gave us in this moment. And as well as this hint of foreshadowing of the future and the suffering that they're going to, that she's going to have to endure with her son and just the amount of suffering Jesus is going to go through. So, so I don't know about you, Eric, but like, was this something you thought of as well as a kid or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. I think in the way that you said too, and initially I would focus on them fulfilling Jewish law and Simeon being able to finally see the Messiah after waiting his whole life. That's a moment of great joy. Anna is also a figure in the story, right, who served day and night in the temple. And she's granted this amazing vision of the Lord who comes in the form of a baby here. But yes, definitely, as I sort of began to reflect on this and the finding in the temple, which we'll talk about more next week, I realized how very quickly after the nativity, the third joyful mystery, these next two mysteries start to be intertwined with the foreshadowing of his death and his suffering. And things get heavy and very serious very fast, right? Even in the midst of the joyful mystery. So the other random thing it made me think of was just knowledge. So I don't know if you ever have this thought, but there's kind of this idea when we pray to know God's will, I feel like I wish I knew it all up front, right? That's just what I think in my mind. Like, God, tell me all of it, the good, the bad, what's going to happen when I'm 50. Uh, but these moments actually humble me and make me realize what I may be asking for if I ask to really know the whole picture, right? Like, can you imagine Mary saying, wow, I wasn't ready for all of that. You know, like, oh, this is all going to happen. So I think that God gives them this great gift of prophecy and knowledge and foreshadowing but obviously with that gift comes the painful and terrible responsibility of being able to say yes 
to such a terrible fate. And then, strangely enough, in those moments, I'm actually more grateful for what I don't know about what's going to happen to me. Because God knows, the way I see it anyway, is like God knows my weakness and my imperfection and my frailty. So there's a reason that he doesn't tell me everything about my future. He probably knows in this moment I can't say yes to all those things. And if I knew, I may say no or do something worse. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just what I think about biblical prophecy sometimes and wanting to know God's will for my life. Yeah, that reminds me just really briefly about the fact that you're absolutely right. Like there are things I don't want to know because I probably won't do them if I know in advance <laughs> or I'll try to avoid it. But, you know, it made me think about one line that was in St. Augustine's Confessions where he talks about chastity and he says, you know, Lord, grant me the grace to be chaste, but not yet. Right. <laughs> it's like, he knows what the what God he knows what God's asking from him, but he's still not ready to do that. And I feel like God knows us. Um, he knows when we are ready to receive this news, and He also knows what we need in order to follow through with with His law and to be obedient to Him. And He understands, you know, that we might we might kick up a fuss from time to time, but ultimately He He knows that he can also lead us um, out of love to where he needs us to go. And it really is more and more, I think about this particular scripture passage, how much it relies on showing us just when we fulfill God's law. You know, you have so many characters here. You have St. Joseph, you have Mother Mary, you have Simeon, you have Anna, as you mentioned as well. Every single one of them, lives according to God's law and every single one of them is favored by the Lord. And there's just so much to be said in this about obedience and just living God's law to the fullest and which is living his will to the fullest. And so what a beautiful example this is. And there's just so much in it. Um, I know that we could keep talking even more about it, but great chapter. I'm really getting yeah. so much from this particular reading yeah so much to apply to our lives right so having said that we will go into our god incidents and i will start uh, there's been so much that i've been blessed to read lately uh read and listen to so i think some of my god incidents just have to do with like books i've been reading or podcasts but one particular thing i thought i would share it's actually it's called Restoring the Glory. That's the name of the podcast, but it's an episode on the anatomy of a wound and it's multiple parts. So if it's something that you want to look up, I've just been moved by the idea of spiritual woundedness in our life. So in the podcast, it's run by two Catholic therapists, but they actually just explore how hurts we can have and spiritual wounds we can have can sometimes lead us to sin and sometimes make us less free to love and to accept God's grace in our life. So I've just been really moved by listening, in this case, to these two therapists unpack the beauty of the psychology and the spirituality of uh, wounds and how we can kind of learn, you know, sometimes even from TV and from movies, how characters often act out their wounds so that we can bring God's grace into those areas where we feel most hurt and, and use those wounds actually 
as a source of how we experience God. Kind of like, it made me think about this mystery, right? That there's this paradox that Mary, Mary's soul is supposed to magnify God best in how she suffers. So that is a lot to wrap my mind around because suffering usually seems to be the thing that drives me from God. So I'm moved for the ways in which I'm reminded that suffering can draw me closer to God. So yeah, I encourage you to check it out. Those were, that was a bit of my God incident. What about you, Rachel? First of all, I love that podcast. I actually listened to it too. So yeah, um, I think they do a great job of explaining things. In terms of a God incident, the God incident that I'll share this week is that there's been a particular suffering in my life that God has blessed me with. And I say that because I know that going through this is in a way acceptance of a suffering that God wills for me to go through. And it's actually very similar to this particular chapter in that it is related to watching somebody I love go through their suffering. And so having to watch that individual suffer and all I can do because I am not God is suffer with them. And having to experience this kind of beyond my control suffering, if you will, because it's just something that I can't stop. I can only pray through and I can only trust God through. It has been quite a journey um, and it's not something that necessarily will end, you know, in particular anytime soon from, from what it appears to be. And sometimes, you know, it could be very overwhelming talking about, you know, our spiritual wounds and allowing God to work in, a, in those spiritual wounds. However, also understanding that we need help. Um, sometimes in being able to work through how somebody else's wounds or somebody else's suffering can also impact our own. Being given the grace to be able to be humble enough to understand when we need help with that is has been quite a, a God incident for me to just be able to recognize my own limitations and recognize my own weaknesses and to understand that it's okay sometimes to not be okay and I think that's like such a cliche but I think that truly is how God's glory can be shown sometimes we do have to um, just kind of allow God to lead us in trusting him that in this moment, he's asking me to be able to allow there to be a Simon of Serene for me and to lift the cross a little bit with me. So that's been a very tremendous God incident right now for me. It's just sometimes we're not meant to carry the cross alone, right? And so allowing that to kind of happen I'm so used to being the person that help, that carries it for someone else or helps somebody else carry theirs. It's very hard, you know, to be able to allow others to help carry mine. So, um, and it almost feels unfair sometimes. 
in the sense that like, I just feel like I don't want to burden anyone with this. Um, but recognizing that God in his infinite wisdom is saying that he wants me to give others the opportunity to actually serve as well. I think he wants me to be able to allow others to, to serve as well and others to, to have the opportunity to be there for me as well. And I am grateful to those that are able to help me and those that have been praying for me and those that have been uh, walking with me through uh, this time or this particular uh, suf this particular suffering. And everyone knows who they are and, and how they've been there for me. So I really do appreciate it. And uh, I guess that in itself is a God incident that somebody could love me enough to actually um, want to lift the cross for me. But more importantly, you know, that they could love God enough to know that that's what they are called to do. So just a very beautiful like feeling of gratitude for everyone that has been there and so we march on and we continue to suffer <laughs> and we continue and we, appro and we approach Lent oh, sorry I just say, and we approach Lent the season where we meditate on passion <laughs> and suffering right that leads to to Good Friday and Easter so yeah 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 definitely and clearly unite it with God on the cross so yeah I'm ready for Lent so what about you guys <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i thank you all for listening to us and i thank you all for being there i know that uh we've had um a couple of episodes that have been late recently and so i i just want to apologize for that there's just been a lot going on but we definitely truly appreciate all our listeners that continue to, to be loyal and listen to our podcast and we hope that this episode has given you a lot to reflect on this leads us, I guess, to our final prayer, and we'll say the Hail Mary and ask for Mother Mary's intercession in teaching us how to suffer joyfully for God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Until next time. <laughs>